All right, well, good morning, Bridge Church. Welcome back. Everybody excited for 2024? Yeah, okay. I hear Daniel. Daniel's excited. So that's good. It's a good thing for our pastor to be excited. You all have good holidays? Yeah, we had really good holidays. Um, we had actually had Jacob over on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, so we had a little Jacob time. We got to meet his new pooch that he's training, so that's good. Um, he's doing a good job on that. Dog didn't destroy anything or anybody, so hey, steps in the right direction, right? Um, after that, we went to um, Heather's aunt and uncle's house in Raleigh and spent the weekend there for a New Year's. Had a great time there. Um, had some time to be able to rest a little bit. Um, did there be a good chance to rest a little bit over the holidays? No, I hear some no's. That's. I I hope that you all got some time with God over the holidays. Um, but regardless of whether you did or you didn't, we're here in 2024 now. It's a new year. And uh, Daniel and I were talking a few weeks ago, and he was saying he wanted to start a series on evangelism in the new year. And so we started comparing notes, and uh, he asked me if I would kick off the series, and so I'm honored to do that. Um, so that's why you get me today instead of him, so I apologize for that. Um, but uh, my disclaimer is, I am not a great evangelist, and all I'm going to do is just share with you some things that God has been putting on my heart about um, where, where he's growing me, and, uh, you know, hopefully it's helpful to you, too. Um, I've got my notes on my phone, so if I'm looking at my phone, I'm not texting. Uh, I put it on airplane mode in the first service because I knew Alan would, uh, would text bomb me in the middle of the service if I didn't. Um, when I started thinking about evangelism, it reminded me of a report that I had heard. And so I looked it up and started reading it. It's uh, from the Barna Research Group. They do a lot of church research. Um, it's honestly kind of a disquieting study. Um, what they wrote in there, currently just one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. Now they define practicing Christian um, as people who identify as Christian, they agree strongly that faith is very important in their lives, and they've attended church within the past month. Okay? So, that's a low bar. Right? Okay. One in four Americans is a practicing Christian by that definition. They identified non-practicing Christians as people who identify as Christian but don't meet that bar. And then they said non-Christians are U.S. adults who do not identify as Christian. But the part of the survey that isn't, or that is disquieting isn't that it's one in four Americans. It's this part. They said um, in 2000, the year 2000, 45% of all those sampled qualified as practicing Christians. That share has consistently declined over the last 19 years. Now, just one in four Americans, 25%, is a practicing Christian. This particular sentence, I'm reading it verbatim out of their study. In essence, the share of practicing Christians has nearly dropped in half since 2000. What on earth is going on? Like, when you stop and think about that, in 20 years, the number of people 
in the United States who are practicing Christians has been cut in half. And, and they go on to identify that of that percentage, about half of them are people who just, maybe they just stopped going to church. They would still identify themselves as Christian and they would be under that heading of non-practicing Christian. But the other half are people who have walked away from the church entirely. Like they're, they're not Christian. And when you start doing the math, it comes out to be about a mega church leaving the faith every day. Like, what is happening? Like those numbers are staggering. Obviously evangelism is something that we, we need to figure out. And all indications would be that maybe we're doing better than we've ever been, you would think. You know, like all over the place you see churches that are, you know, we are, we are um, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. You know, sound doctrine. In the 90s, we had the, uh, the megachurch movement that started with the seeker-sensitive movement. And, you know, whether you like their methodology or not, their, their goal was let's get more people in our seats so more people hear the gospel. And you would think that if more people are coming in and more people are hearing the gospel, the church should be growing, right? Or today, we have what I call the entrepreneurship of the church, you know, where you have guys who want to go out and start their own thing. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about this man right here because he doesn't, he doesn't fit in this mold. He, he, he did this, but he follows Jesus, and that's the reason my, my family and I are here. It's, you know, the old days, it was a very manly thing, a very masculine thing for a guy to go, well, I want to be in this profession. I'm going to go start my own thing. I'm going to be a plumber. I bet you I can start my own plumbing business, make it on my own, not have a boss. You know, um, I want to be a doctor. I'm going to start my own practice. I'm going to start my own dentistry practice. You know, whatever, I'm going to be a freelance writer. You know, whatever it was, it was a very manly thing to go out and build your own thing. And what we see now is that there are dudes who want to follow Jesus. And so they're doing that with the church. They're going to start their own church. That's why you see non-denominational churches popping up on every corner. It's because guys go out and they just, like, they're going to start their own thing. A lot of them from noble hearts, they, like, they want to serve Jesus. But then you start applying American business principles to it. Well, how do you know if you're doing it right? Well, is it growing? Well, how do we know if it's growing? Well, it has to be measurable. Like, you know, if you're a business guy, you have to, it has to be smart goals. You know, it has to be time-bound. It has to be measurable, all that sort of thing. And so, well, how do you do that in a church? Well, you count butts and seats. You count dollars coming in the offering plate. And if those numbers are going up, then, hey, cheers, we're doing a great job. But the problem is that doesn't necessarily reflect spiritual growth. And so what's happening is that these movements that we would think would bring lasting change have actually sent us the other direction. And so I have become convinced in my own life there's only one way that people get what they need. Only one thing makes a difference. And it is when the people who need Jesus the life of God in God's people.
That's the only thing that changes people. They, they need to see more of Jesus in us. And logically, if people are walking away from the church in droves, and that's the only thing that changes people, well, the conclusion is they're not seeing it. And that's what God's been putting on my heart. The reason why we're not making an impact is because the life of God's not apparent in us. I think why that happens is because when it comes down to it, if we're honest, we don't really believe the things that we say we believe. You know, just quick poll, like inerrant, infallible word of God. Everybody believes scripture's inerrant? Or mostly in agreement there? Yeah, okay, I see a lot of nodding heads, okay. So we believe our Bibles are true, they're inspired by God. And we say we believe the things in there. But like practically, like do we? Like how we live actually tells us whether or not we believe it. One of my favorite phrases by um, Dallas Willard, he's a theologian, Jacob hates this phrase. Um, actions reveal beliefs 100% of the time. And I have found that it's a hard phrase. But I found it to be a relentless mirror that shows me. Am, am I actually being changed by Jesus? Am I growing in him? The way that we live shows whether or not we actually believe the things we say we believe. When you come under financial pressure, do you experience worry, anxiety, fear? Well, if so, there's still something in there that doesn't believe God completely. And when I say that, I'm not pointing fingers out there, I'm pointing fingers here. When you come under hard circumstances and you get pressured, do you respond in anger or with grace? Because if it's with anger, well, there are still some things in here that aren't aligned with God's kingdom. And again, that's not pointing fingers at you, that's pointing fingers here. We had a situation in our home last week. I came home from work, and I was trying to catch up our budget while I was home on, on lunch. It was a bad idea. I shouldn't have tried to squeeze it in. But as I'm entering things into our spreadsheet, I start seeing we've overspent and things aren't lining up the way I wanted them to, and I start feeling the anxiety creeping in, and then one of our daughters came in the room, and she was, you know, doing the thing that teenagers do, where, you know, they're, they're arguing with mom, and I feel on the inside the anxiety starting to clash with the, like, can you just shut up? And it's, and finally, I snapped, and I yelled at her, and I yelled at my wife. And I knew as soon as I did it, oh, it wasn't Christ-like. It wasn't right. And I had to apologize to them both later. And both of them were pretty gracious about it, which I'm thankful for. But what that evidences is that there are still places in me that Jesus is growing. Places where I can show the love of Christ more fully. And there are places where I don't believe as fully as I want to believe. If we want to see the world change, 
It has to be because the life of God is coming through us. That study that I, I cited earlier, a lot of people are starting to use phrases like irreversible decline, point of no return. Well, the good news is our God doesn't deal in those words. Like, he's still in control, and this thing can still get turned around. And in fact, in other parts of the world, there's massive revival happening. People are getting saved by the millions in places like India and China. I mean, in, in Muslim countries, it's unfathomable. People are getting saved. You can go out there and look this up online because Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. Like, we can't get in with the gospel. And Jesus says, hey, that's okay, fellas, I got this. I, got, I, I, can, I can just use dreams. And I'll just show up and tell them who I am. And people are getting saved by this. Like, it's unbelievable. It's astonishing. But if we want to take part in that, and, and I believe that this, this revival that's happening, I believe, is reflective of a massive movement of God that is happening before his imminent return. I think that's in Romans 11. Um, if we want to take part of that and see change in our culture, there's only one way, and it's that the life of God has to be evident in us so that other people can see it. And so we have to challenge ourselves. Do we believe what we say we believe? So let's talk about some examples. Do you believe that God's kingdom is here? Thank you, Jacob. I'm glad you believe. The scripture tells us that it is. But I think far, far too often we think of God's kingdom as like a future thing that will be here eventually, but in the here and now, I mean, like, just look around at politics and the economy, and, like, that can't be God's kingdom. But here's the thing. When John the Baptist came, he started telling people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then a funny thing, when Jesus started his ministry, do you know what he said? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that's coming from a pretty good source, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, straight from the mouth of Jesus. But there's more to it than that. In that passage in Matthew, where Matthew records that Jesus said that, it starts out with him saying, Jesus went back to Nazareth, so what could be, it could be fulfilled what was said by the prophet. Um, and it's that verse where it says, um, those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And if you trace that pack, it's in Isaiah chapter 9. It's actually the start of that Christmas passage we always quote. You know, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, of the increase of his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so when Matthew quoted that prophecy, his Hebrew listeners who read it, I guess readers who read it, his Hebrew readers, they'd be like, I know that passage. That's the one that talks about like the one who's going to come and be king and his kingdom will never decrease it'll always increase and so what matthew does it's a, a literary device when he puts that passage on there and puts jesus statement at the bottom that says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand make no mistake what matthew was saying to his listeners was the kingdom is here and this guy's the king the king has come and his kingdom is here now before jesus left going to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Like Jesus already has all authority. Paul wrote that Jesus triumphed over the spiritual powers and authority. He made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Hey, Jesus has already disarmed the spiritual powers. And if we think that the kingdom is something that's coming in the future, um, Paul actually wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus must rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. And at that time, he will hand the kingdom back to the Father. Guys, this kingdom thing, it's now. Our king reigns. And we get to live in his kingdom life now. That's not a future hope. It's a now hope. It's a now reality that we get to live in. And it is our role to push back darkness in his name. That's what our scripture tells us. Do you believe that you have an enemy? I mean, a lot of people live like they don't. Um, Saturday Night Live used to make fun of it. You know, like I'm dating myself. Some of you guys won't, younger guys won't. My daughter's probably looking at me like, what's she talking about? You know, Dana Carvey used to do the church lady thing. You know, like, could it be Satan? Like, well, yeah, actually, it probably is Satan. Like, that's not conspiracy theory. Like, that's what the scripture says. You know, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5.8 says, your adversary the devil roars around like a prowling, or prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Hey, folks, there is a bad guy out there. There is a malevolent being in this world who is real, and he is out to get you. not conspiracy theory. Like I've heard people say, well, I don't want to be one of those people who sees a demon behind every bush. Why not? Scripture tells us that they're real. Scripture tells us that they want only eternal damnation and judgment for every one of us. So why wouldn't you want to be cognizant of it? We have an enemy. And that enemy isn't other people, by the way. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers and authorities. It's easy to look around and be like, man, these politicians or these leaders, these people, that people, they're they're doing all these things that I don't agree with. Those people aren't your enemy. They are hostages of your enemy. Our job is to go out and share the good news with them so that they can come to the right side. But we have an enemy who is out to get us. And scripture tells us in uh, James 4 and in 1 Peter 5, 9 that we must resist him. If we uh, stand firm and resist him, he will flee from us. You know, this is something that Heather and I have started practicing because last year we were under such intense spiritual warfare. Um, we, we were just getting beaten up all the time. And so one of the things that we started doing, um, not as consistently as I would like, but we're, we're getting better with it, every night before we go to sleep, we pray for God's covering over our family. And we pray something like this. It's very simple. It's the same thing every night. But we just pray and we say, Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for loving us. And we just want to ask tonight that you put a canopy of protection over our family, over our home and around us. We pray you'd protect us against any spiritual attacks, any physical attacks from the evil one. And we come against any spiritual attacks from the evil one 
in your name and by your power and authority, and we banish it to your throne for judgment in the name of Jesus. And that if there's anything else going on, we, we lift that up too. But just a simple way that we come against the enemy because we believe he's real and we believe that he wants the worst for us. You believe you have an enemy? Do you believe that you will suffer in this life? Like, that's a hard one. Like, when I was a kid, man, I read that, and honestly, like, I didn't think it consciously, but somewhere in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, I mean, some Christians suffer, and like, maybe that's for other people in another part of the world, and like, like I'm never going to suffer, right? Like, if you're following Jesus, you're going to suffer. Like, Jesus suffered, and he promised us that we would suffer. Like, that's part of the deal. And we're like him when we're suffering. That doesn't mean that he has forgotten you. Hmm. That doesn't mean that he's not with you. What God does through suffering is he grows us more like him. There are two places that give very similar patterns. It's amazing how much they line up. In James chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5, it talks about how, you know, James wrote, count it all joy when you undergo trials of various kinds because as you undergo them and you suffer, God produces character in us and he makes us complete so we may be lacking nothing. And Paul wrote that when we undergo suffering, it produces character in us and character produces endurance and endurance produces hope and hope never puts us to shame. Suffering is awful. I can tell you from some of the things that we've been through, like, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but let me tell you, I wouldn't trade it. Because what Jesus has done is he has made me more like him through it. And as I've prayed through some of those things and just wondered, like, God, why? Like, we are trying so hard to follow you, trying so hard to be faithful. Like, why? Does it have to be this hard? What I have found is that he is shaping my character, making me into a better man, someone who is a friend of God. I wouldn't trade it. Here recently, I was, I was praying through some of that and just asking God, like, why? Like, why still? Why can't we be past this? And God showed me something really, really cool. So have you ever read the story of Abraham where God tells him to go sacrifice Isaac? It says God tested Abraham. And then at the end of the story, God says, now I know that you won't withhold him from me. Now, have any of you ever read that and been like, now you know? Like, seriously, you didn't know before? Like, you're omniscient. And you're telling me that you, like, now you know? And I was, I was, thinking through that and as I was praying like God why why the suffering why is it continuing well God pointed out Psalm 66 it says you have tested us 
as silver is tested in the fire. Why does silver go in a fire? To refine it. God tests us. Not so that he knows who we are. Not so that he has evidence. God tests us because he knows that we will fail. And he is making us into the kind of people that won't. When he showed me that, I went, oh, that's good. Oh, I needed that. And so I called a good friend of mine, Ray. I owe Ray for this one because I told him about it and we were on a FaceTime and Ray just started laughing and he goes, man, you're not going to believe this. I was reading about this and somebody asked a silversmith, like, how do you know how long to leave silver in the fire? Because if you leave silver in a fire too long, you ruin it. And you know what the smith's answer was? He said, oh, that's easy. I leave it in until I can see my reflection in it. Like, come on, somebody, that's good. Like, oh, man. Like, God leaves us in the testing and the trials until he can see himself in us. And like, man, I wouldn't wish suffering on you, but I know I want to be like Jesus. Like, I need that refining. This is an important one. Do you believe that God is with you? And we just celebrated Christmas. Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah. John tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like, I was meditating on that on Christmas Day. Like The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like, stop and think the indescribable, infinite, majestic creator of the universe took on flesh and became like us and dwelt with us? Like, if you ever have any doubt that God wants to be with you, just remember, like, he took on a meat sack so he could walk around with us. Like, God, he became flesh and dwelt among us. All through scripture we see this phrase, I will be their God, and I will be among them as their God, and they will be my people. Like, that's God's heart. He wants to be with us. And it goes all the way through the end of the story until you pick up Revelation 21, and you see the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down. And God says this, now the dwelling place of God is with man. Hmm. I will be among them as their God, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Like God, like he just wants to be with us. I was telling our, our men's group, we have a, a men's group that's mostly um, Jacob's friends, and I'm the old dude that they let sit in and talk sometimes. Um, and I was telling them, like, I have four kids, and I love them all. Um, our fourth was our first son, and he's a neat kid. And I find myself already, like, 
the, the dude's kind of my friend, you know? Like, I like to hang out with him. Like, we, we play video games, and we wrestle, and we have fun, and um, I was telling the guys in our men's group, like, he didn't do anything. Like, it's not like I was like, oh, man, I really like this person. I need to spend more time with him. No, I just want to be with him because he is. Do you believe that God wants to be with you because you are? Man, he sure has made the statement that he wants to be. A lot of times we think of God as like this angry person out there who's like trying to watch the, the, the football game and like, well, what do you want this time? Can't you see the Chiefs are kicking off? Like, that's not who God is. Like, God wants to be with us, and he has gone to incredible lengths to remove every obstacle, including our sin, so that he can be with us eternally. Scripture tells us in Psalm 56 that God counts our tears and keeps them in his bottle. Scripture tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. Scripture tells us that he will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When you sign on as a Christian, God adopts you into his family. You're not a slave. You are a son and a daughter. You are a friend of God. Do you believe that he's with you? Like, now? That's kind of important. Do you believe that he's going to return and make everything right? Like, scripture's pretty clear about that. Like, that's the great hope of the Christian faith, is that like, all this stuff that we're experiencing, God's going to make it all right in the end. Like, he is going to return and eradicate evil. And when you think of the evil that you experience in your life, like just take a second, take stock of all the evil things that you've experienced in your life and just pick out one and go like, if I could get rid of this one thing, how much would my life be different? Drink. Now I can't gesture as much. Yeah. That's okay. He will remove all evil. He will wipe away all of our tears. He will remove all of our sorrow. And the interesting thing is the disciples, they asked him this really bold question. Well, Jesus, we've given up a lot to follow you. What are we going to get? And I think it's really interesting that Jesus didn't go like, what are you talking about? Get thought you were doing this thing because, you know, like altruism or something. You know, Jesus' answer wasn't like, guys, you're way out of line. Jesus' answer was, oh, let me tell you. In the renewal of all things, anyone who has followed me will and has left behind houses, land, 
family, whatever it is, they'll receive it in return a hundredfold. Like Jesus had no problem saying, in the world to come, believe me, you're going to be okay. When Jesus returns, everything will be restored to us. You will have lost nothing. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Because if you did, it would change how you live today. Those are just some samples. Like, if we believe what we say we believe, it's going to change the decisions that we make and the way that we live and the way that we respond. So what do we do? Well, first, do the things that draw you closer to God. Like, if you want to be the kind of person that affects other people for the kingdom, like, you have to be close to Jesus. Like, that's what we found in previous decades was that, you know, people, they just don't care about your churchy stuff. Like, they don't care about your fog machines or your worship album. They don't care about, um, you know, how much attendance you had, how many people you baptized last year. They don't care that you don't watch R-rated movies and you don't cuss. And they also don't care if you do watch R-rated movies and you do cuss. They don't care. They just don't care. But what they do care about, are you different? Can they see the life of God coming out of you? Scripture tells us Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and he said, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. And out of him will flow rivers of life. And then the gospel writer went on to to add, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who is yet to come. Do you have rivers of living water flowing out of you? I don't always, but man, I want that. Like, I want to live that way. The only way, the only way is to pursue Jesus. Do the things that draw you closer to him. You don't need another Bible study. You don't need more books. You don't need more worship albums. But you do need to read God's word. You know why? You know why your pastor tells you to read your Bible? It's not so you can check off a box. It's so that as you go through life, what God has spoken can be real in who you are. You may have noticed it today when I came up here, I didn't bring my Bible. I did that on purpose. Because every scripture that I have quoted this morning is something that has meant something to me. Every single one of them. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I spend a lot of time memorizing scripture. It's because I have been through situations where I needed a word from God. And he showed up and gave me something out of the Bible. And when he did, I held on to it. And he wrote it on my heart. So that now I know, not just know, but now I know. And I can say it. You know, we were reading this book called Fathered by God in our our men's group and there's a quote in there we were talking about the other day the author said "Um, that is the way of any real discovery we find ourselves in need and then the answer that has actually been before us for some time suddenly matters suddenly makes sense that's the way scripture works 
Like you read your Bible so that when the time comes that you need it, God can go, yeah, you remember that verse? Oh, now I remember it, and I ain't going to forget it again. Like that's the reason we read the Bible. That's the reason we pray. You know, we spend time with God, and that's supposed to be a dialogue, by the way, not a monologue. Like spend time talking to God and listening for his voice in a response. It is so that we draw closer. Worship, fasting, any discipline that you do, the point is to draw closer to Jesus. Daniel's going to talk about 21 days of fasting. Um, We're doing that as a church. And the whole point of fasting, whether you fast from food or social media or whatever you fast from, the point isn't just to like not do stuff. The point is to fill that time with Jesus, putting your focus on him so that you draw closer to him and he makes you more like him. Like That's the point behind that. Do the things that draw you closer to God. Remember the things that God has spoken to you. Start writing out a personal manifesto. That's something that I'm doing personally. Like A lot of the things that God has shown me, verses that he's put on my heart, I'm starting to write those things down. Um, words that he has spoken to me as I've prayed, writing those things down so that I remember them and I hold on to them. You might be going through a situation um, where you need, you just need God to to step in because you're struggling and you don't know what you're going to do. And maybe he says, you are my beloved daughter. Write that stuff down. Because maybe you feel it in the moment, but there's going to be a day when you wake up and you don't feel like a beloved daughter. And you need to be reminded, like God spoke this to me. I remember him saying it in my heart, and I'm holding on to it because I know he loves me. I know I am precious to him, and no matter what I see and what I feel, I'm not letting go that God loves me and he is with me. If he says to you that you are a proud warrior... Man, there's going to be a day when you wake up and you're exhausted, you're tired, you don't know what to do, you're at your wit's end, you feel like a coward, you feel like nothing but a proud warrior, and you have to remember, God told me I was a proud warrior for his kingdom. And one way or another, I'm going to walk with him, I'm going to walk in his strength, and he will will hold me up, because he always has. He gives you a verse, I will never leave you or forsake you, Be strong and take courage. Hold on to those things. Write them down and rehearse them. Go through them every day. These are the things that God has said to me. I'm going to hold on to them because he's faithful. Do the things that draw you closer to God. Rehearse the things that he has told you. And draw closer to people who will prop you up. Like that's important. It doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. Like, we are all made to live in community. Like, we need other people. Um, if you watched our, uh, our New Year's Day or, um, service that Daniel put online, it opened with Alan and Bunny talking about the importance of being involved in a small group. Like, if you're not in a small group, like, why not? Like, you need people? Like, you don't need a small group so that you have another thing to do. You don't need a small group because... Well, it's kind of a neat book, and maybe I want to read through it. Like, you need a small group because when you go through the garbage of life and you need somebody, you need other believers that you can call. Like, I can call Alan or Steve on a moment's notice and go, hey, I'm struggling through this, guys. 
and they're going, come on, let's pray. Let's pray over it. Let's, you know, you're going to be okay. God's going to be faithful. I can call Daniel. I can call Jacob. You know, I can say, guys, this is what I'm going through. And they're going to be like, hey, let's pray. Let's take it to the throne. You're going to be okay. And then later they're going to come back and go, how are you doing? How's your family doing? How's that situation? Tell us what God did. We need that. I mean, you think of any story that you love. Like, it wasn't a one-man show. Never is. Like, whether it's a real story or a fiction story. Like, you think, um, like, Frodo took the ring to Mordor. Like, that dude didn't leave on his own. He had a whole fellowship with him. And when the fellowship broke up, he still had Sam that walked all the way to Mount Doom with him. Or, like, think of, like, Rocky, the Rocky movies. Like, the, the movie is Rocky. It's about Rocky, right? But he had Adrian. He had Mick. He had people behind him that pushed him. It's always that way, real or fiction. Like, we need people to prop us up. You need people to prop you up. So get people around you that will prop you up, that, that will encourage you to continue walking with God and continue pursuing him. Like those are the things that we desperately need. If we're going to make an impact on our culture, people need to see the life of God flowing out of us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, this is how I've been praying for myself. Because like I said at the outset, this is not pointing fingers at you. These are the things that God is showing me on how I need to grow. And so this is what I'm praying over myself every day. I'm going to pray it for all of us now. Jesus, we'd love you. Give us a heart to pursue you relentlessly. Help us to walk with you and to love you and to desire you about, above everything. We ask that you'd fill us with the river of life so that it will flow from us so that other people will see you in us. We ask that you would fill us so completely and draw us so close to you that the air around us would crackle with your presence. Jesus, we love you and we want to love you more and we want other people to know you and love you. And so help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.